Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, guys. Welcome, welcome. So uh, we are in the thick of the holidays and the holiday season, I should say. And I want to start busting open trauma because so often our reactions, how we perceive the world, how we perceive our children's behavior, how we perceive our spouse, our friends, a lot of this is trauma response. And I've been thinking about it and I was like, yep, just about everything's a trauma response, which doesn't mean it has to be, you know, big T trauma, right? It doesn't have to be abuse. It doesn't have to be neglect, but we all have some degree of trauma. And I wanted to start, I don't know if you know Gabor Mate. I wanted to start with his new book, a quote from his new book, The Myth of Normal. Uh, Gabor Mate is an incredible, he's a doctor and he does trauma work and he is amazing. And it really all stems back to childhood and the inescapable truth that we are all going to experience trauma at some point in our lives. And so this quote is, our physical and mental health is intricately interwoven with how we feel, what we perceive or believe about ourselves in the world, and the ways that life does or does not satisfy our non-negotiable human needs. Because trauma is a foundational layer of experience in modern life, but one that is largely ignored or misapprehended. And I think that is the basis <laughs> of really a lot of my work is figuring out our trauma and doing our trauma work. And so I wanted to give two sort of real life examples that have happened to me recently to just kind of give you an idea of what trauma work can consist of and what it can look like when it sort of kicks you from behind. And I find that as parents, unless you really, 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 really did a shit ton of trauma work before having your kids, a lot of times we get stuck kind of doing our trauma work as parents. Now, I was very fortunate because I was absolutely crazy in my 20s. So I ended up doing all my trauma work by default so that I wouldn't be so crazy. <laughs> On Patreon, I had done a whole trauma series and I'm going to start releasing those episodes so we can really dig into this topic because it's really important. What happens though is it's hard to do trauma work when you're a parent because I really spiritually believe that our kids are here. Like, I mean, that's not their only purpose, but I do believe they're here to sort of pour salt in our wounds and highlight where we need to work on ourselves so we can heal generational trauma. We can heal our trauma and change, change the paradigm of parenting. And we're going to do that through trauma. So the thing about parenting when you still haven't done your trauma work is there are triggers all over the place. You can find yourself very reactionary, but very often it can kick you from behind. A lot of times you need different modes of therapy because talk therapy is wonderful. I went through many, many, many years of talk therapy, but it is limited. And very often you'll find people who can say, oh yeah, yeah, I know my trauma. You know, my father X, Y, and Z, my mother was a narcissist, my father abused me, whatever, whatever it was from severe to minor, people can talk it very plainly, but they haven't reached the depth of it. And so I want to give an example of something that happened to me fairly recently to kind of highlight the depth of it and how I handled it. So I hope this is helpful. 
All right. So let me do the setup. So I love my gym. I post about it all the time. This is the gym that I do my Spartan races with. I love them, love them, love them. For the most part, it is centered around drinking. So we go on hikes together in New Hampshire. We do the White Mountains. We do these Spartan races. And drinking figures prominently into all the fun that my gym has, which is funny because everybody really tries to take care of themselves except for the drinking. So there is that. Okay. So what happened was on a random Saturday, we had this giant text thread and my friend Lisa offered up my house. She offered up my house as a party. We hadn't gotten together in a while. And she said, Hey, let's all go to Jamie's. Now, remember, I live in the middle of the woods. So my house is very far. My house is 45 minutes from just about anything. So I was like, yeah, you know, and she, it was so funny because she texted me and she said, I'm sorry, I just offered up your house. And I said, no, that's great. Nobody ever comes to see me, you know, this far out in the woods. And mind you in Rhode Island, Rhode Island's so small that nobody drives anywhere. There are definite like town lines that people don't go beyond. So 45 minutes is really long in Rhode Island because everything's pretty close. So that was on Saturday. And I was like, the house was a mess. My deck was a mess. My yard was a mess. There was like a lot of cleanup that had to happen because of fall going into winter. Everything was kind of disheveled. And I really didn't want people to come over. I really, really, really didn't want people to come over because I just didn't feel like doing the work to have guests over. Right. (laughs) And so that was my secret thought. But, you know, then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So then on like Tuesday afternoon, I check in because I still haven't heard anything. Are people coming over or are they not? So I, you know, check in on the text thread and I say, hey, are we coming to my house on Friday or not? And there were kind of crickets, like unusual crickets for this text thread. We're all very chatty. And so I was like, huh. So then I offered up like an easy excuse. I said, I know my house is very far. So like if, if it can't happen, then don't worry about it. So then that night... Like just as I was going to bed, the text started to come in. And so Lisa said, oh yeah, Jesse and I were talking about this in class and we decided that your house is really too far. So maybe we can do something closer. They kind of all live near the gym. So maybe we can do something on this end. It was right before bed. And you guys, I was devastated, like devastated. I started to cry. I had a pit, like this feeling in the pit of my stomach. I instantly went to very young thinking. I would say like 15, 16 year old thinking like, fuck them. I don't care about them. I'm going to show them. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to be super skinny. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be better than them. It was like this really young thinking that I don't partake in that thinking anymore. And so I'm noticing like the observer me, like, uh, like kind of looking above at my own behavior. I was like, the hell is going on with you? Like, this is crazy. You didn't even want people to come over and now they're not coming over. So what is going on? So as I'm drifting off to sleep, I think, well, maybe cause like, you know, they said they were talking about it in class. And I said, I, I wonder if something got a little, a little poked inside of me that, you know, I was being talked about when I wasn't there. And I was like, nah, that's not sitting with me. So I had a very restless night of sleep and I took Mav out the next morning. And I'm telling you, I woke up still devastated, like just crushed in, in this funk. And I could not figure it out because the adult me is saying like, dude, again, what is going on? Like you didn't want these people to come over. So it was a very, very odd overreaction. And I could feel that. And I was very angry with them. And again, old thinking, that's an old pattern of thinking, right? So I take Maverick on the trails and while I'm walking and I'm walking, I'm talking it out. You know, I I talk to myself all the time on the trails and I'm talking it out. And all of a sudden it occurs to me, 
oh, my house isn't too far. My house is too far to drink and drive. Okay. And then all of a sudden, more sobbing, more like almost shaking. I am having the most visceral primal reaction. And then I realize what is going on. What had been triggered is abandonment for alcohol, which brought up my parents' alcoholic drinking, which brought up the times that I was emotionally or physically, I wasn't abandoned ever, you know, like for days at a time, but definitely for nights at a time and emotionally for sure because of my parents' drinking. And that's what had gotten triggered. Now, here's what's even more interesting. So luckily, I'm on the trails for like three or four miles. So I have a lot of time to talk to myself, a lot of time to talk myself down. Now, as I'm feeling all of this, I can really feel this like young child who knows she's being abandoned for alcohol. I start to try to like reparent in that moment and be the adult and and talk it away. And I was like, okay, but listen, they have every right to not, if they want to drink, it's their Friday night. Of course, they don't want to be that far. They don't want to drink and drive, which is responsible, but they do want to party. So they don't want to be that far. Listen, this is okay. And in that moment, I, I had this amazing, beautiful scream from my inner child who was like, shut the fuck up. I want to cry. Like I need to feel this. And so for once in my life, I'm not very good at this. I am very good at being the adult and, and rationalizing things. But in that moment, I was like, no, don't try to talk this away. What do you need? And so I had this really beautiful communication between my inner child and me, the mom, me who knows how to be a mom now. And this is the beauty of doing trauma work as a parent, because you really know how to reparent yourself. In that moment, I said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And I kind of gave myself like a, a imaginary hug. And I was like, go ahead, cry it out. Just cry it out. Cause that is awful. It's awful for anybody to have to be abandoned for alcohol. It sucks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your parents did that. I said all the like kind, loving things. I held space for myself, which I know can sound a little psychotic if you're not used to this work, but I held space for myself, cried it out. And then I was done. And I was cleansed in a way that was just amazing. And so I did the reparenting and then I was like, right. And I was not, I harbored no ill feelings toward my friends whatsoever. All that very young thinking, I'm going to get them. I'm going to show them. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. All that just dissipated. It all went away because I let the cycle complete. And I don't think in my life, in all the trauma work I've done, I don't think I've ever had such a succinct, well-wrapped incident. And that's why I'm sharing it with you because from start to finish, it was like the completion of a cycle. And trauma work is very rarely this clean, this obvious, and this like quickly run through the cycle. So all trauma happens because a cycle gets interrupted. Yes. When we allow our children to have like their feelings, when we allow ourselves to have our full feelings without stuffing them, without making them a secret, without hiding them a dark recess in our mind, explaining them away, and then having some sort of like young thinking that defensive, protective thinking, I'll, I'll show them they're stupid, whatever that might look like, right? If we could always complete the cycle, we wouldn't have the trauma so much. So this again was just this like really succinct, beautiful thing. And it was fine. It was like totally fine. And again, I wasn't mad at my friends. They have every right. I very responsible of them to not be too far and drink and drive. 
But I also noticed what was telling about this is that because I was so devastated, and I think what happened was because it happened at night as I was going to bed, there were no distractions. So it wasn't like I could just go exercise or wash the dishes or, you know, take Mav out. I was really just kind of sitting with my feelings. So the devastation, the overreaction hit harder. And it was more apparent to me where I was like, what the hell is going on? Like you're abnormally reactionary about this. And so one of the things we can look at is when you do feel like you may be just starting your trauma work and be like, I don't even know what the hell Jamie's talking about. I had a great childhood. I had no trauma, but you may be highly reactionary with your spouse or with your children. And that indicates that there's a red flag. There's some trauma there. So when you feel yourself in a high emotion, particularly when you have the wherewithal to say, whoa, I am completely overreacting to this. Yes, I am completely over the top with this reaction right now. And that's when you can look at it. And I don't think, again, this example I just gave is such a clean example. It's almost never this clean and this quick, but it is a doorway into what might be behind some of the doors in your psyche and what you might be stuffing down and what might be your trauma work, what might lead you to some big or little traumas. And it, it, when I say little trauma, it could just be being weirdly shamed by your parents, being shut down, being guilted, any, any of these things. It doesn't have to be these huge, huge revelations. The other thing that was really important is that I know that my parents drank alcoholically in my childhood. I know that I suffered because of this. I know, and I could tell you after years of talk therapy, I could tell you without getting emotional, yep, this happened. Yep, my parents weren't emotionally present. Yes, there was some abuse. Yes, there was physical abuse. I could tell you that, but I had never gone to the depth of the feeling. And what happens in these moments when we feel that overreaction, when we feel like super activated, super triggered for the smallest thing, you can bet your bottom dollar that something's behind that. So anyway, I hope that's helpful. And I wanted to give another real life example, sort of looking at how this one has more to do with like communication and how when we have some trauma around boundaries, how we can like have lack of communication, but also how when you don't do your trauma work as a parent, what happens is you, look, we're all trying to do a new parenting paradigm. We're all looking for conscious parenting, gentle parenting, all of this, all of these terms are new. We were parented very differently. Me, maybe a little more so than you, because I'm probably older than you. And like, it was a little more like quote unquote old school, you know what I mean? But what's happening is we don't have a roadmap. And so it's really easy to talk a good game about what kind of parent you're going to be and how, you know, we're going to talk about everything. And, and it's very easy when your child's under the age of eight and very controllable, you know, family meetings, talk about your feelings, all of this, but the rubber meets the road when you start parenting a teenager and the conversations get harder. They get way harder. And what I'm seeing in my community as a parent of a teenager is I'm seeing parents who haven't done their trauma work. They tried this really, they talked a really good game when the children were, were young and controllable. And now that the children are busting out on their own, they didn't do their work. And what's happening is they're going to their default parenting. If you don't clear your garbage, you guys, you will always default to the way you were parented. So bear that in mind. It's really important to do this work because as your child grows, 
I love the teenage years. I don't think they're harder. I think they're so amazing. But what I'm looking at around me is people who haven't done their work and going to their default parenting. And it's ugly because it, it's controlling. It's not letting children have their wings. And it's, it's very, it's disturbing to me. So I, I just want to lay out this example. And I think if you listen to the Green Day episode, this is going to be very reminiscent of the Green Day episode. So basically, last Friday was my birthday, and Pascal and his buddy wanted to go to a concert. Now, let me set this up a little bit. As you know, my mom's been sick. My mom has literally been in every hospital in Rhode Island. I have, the week before, I was driving everywhere to go visit her, still driving Pascal. He has his driver's license now, amen and hallelujah. But it was really, I was driving like six or seven hours a day, very driving heavy. I ended up getting sick. First, I had like a cold. And then that Thursday, the Thursday before my birthday, I got laid out with the flu. And it was incredible. I don't, in my recollection, recall ever getting the flu. What happened was on Thursday, I took Maverick out for a walk on the trails. And by the time I got off the trail, I could barely get into my truck. My bones, I've never felt anything like this. My bones, my joints, everything was just killing me. I ended up clearing my calendar. I just slept all day. And it was crazy. So then Friday, I felt better. The only thing I did on Friday was make a birthday reel on Instagram. <laughs> but then the boys wanted to go to this concert. So even before the flu, Wednesday, I think they bought the tickets. And I said, I'm not driving. It was in Boston. And I said, I'm not driving back and forth to Boston. So if you guys can't figure this out, then you can't go to the concert. So Pascal came to me and said, Mom, we're going to take an Uber. I talked to Mike and we're going to take an Uber. And I said, okay, that's great. Awesome. So we booked the Uber. I did drive them into Boston. We booked the Uber for, you know, for Boston back. The concert was at the Orpheum. There's a park across the way. We found a great place for the Uber driver to meet them. We booked it in advance and I brought them to Boston. Oh, I told them too. We booked it for like 1130. I said, if the concert's not over, you guys have to leave the concert. They were like, yeah, 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 absolutely. And so... Perfect. You know, and then I texted them. Once I got home from dropping them off, I gave them a text and I was like, Hey, have a great time. Listen, if you need me, call me at a moment's notice. I'll keep my phone on. Don't hesitate to call me. If anything happens, I'm happy to come and get you guys. I don't want to, but I'm happy to come get you guys if you guys get stuck. So awesome. They get home at, you know, one, everything went pretty according to plan. They had a little trouble. There were like parties. There were holiday parties in, in Boston. So they had a little trouble with the Uber driver. They figured it out and they got home exactly when I expected them to get home. That is awesome. The next day I woke them up early. I said, you can work off your Uber and your concert tickets if you do all my yard work for me, which was an awesome trade. They did my gutters and moved wood and it was really great. So then two days later, I get wind. Pascal tells me that Mike's parents are absolutely livid with me that they took uh, an Uber home. They were pissed off. Now, mind you, Mike is 18. Mike is in his senior year of high school. He will be going to college next year. They were just livid. And I guess they were, you know, saying catastrophic things like they could have been killed, all these things. So it was very bizarre. But I was like, huh, okay, whatever. Like, it wasn't an issue for me. I didn't even think twice about it. Otherwise, I, you know, if I knew it was going to piss them off, I would have, I, I would have told them or I wouldn't have done it or I, the boys wouldn't have gone to the concert or something. I really just didn't think about it at all. Pascal takes Ubers all the time. You know, two young, strapping young boys at the height of their musculature. <laughs> I was not concerned. And if there was trouble, I was going to go get them. So I sit on it for like a day and I'm like, wow, I can't believe they're like this mad at me and they're not contacting me. So here's the warning number one. If you are upset at somebody, especially if you think your child was going to get killed, you call the person. 
Like I could not believe that they weren't reaching out to be like, we're pissed off. Like I had to hear it through teenagers, which I don't like to communicate through teenagers because their lens on parenting is like not the same. And I ran into this with an old friend that we ended up getting a divorce because she was like getting information through Pascal, through her daughter, and then assuming she knew my feelings, my opinions. So anyway, I decided, I said, hey, I'm just going to give them a text. So I texted the dad and I said, hey, listen, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I heard that you're like pissed off about the kids taking an Uber. And, you know, I'm super sorry. I didn't even think at all that it would be an issue. So he writes back and he says, you know, yeah. It was our understanding that you were going to drive them both ways. Okay. Now I know in the Green Day episode, I bitched about this. I'm going to bitch about it again. So single mom here, right? My mom's been in the hospital and granted, they may not have known that, but you had no problem with me driving six hours. So Boston is an hour and a half away. So drive to Boston, come back, rest for a little bit, maybe watch Game of Thrones and then go to Boston and drive back. You had no problem. Never called me, never said thank you. Never, hey, do you need something? Do the boys need snacks? Nothing like that, right? Nope, just... It was our expectation that you were going to do the driving, which is whatever. Now, whatever. Clearly, I have judgment. So I said, well, what happened is, now this this is my some of my trauma response. I am a people pleaser, and I want to smooth things over as soon as possible. I wish I'd sat on this message a little while longer so I could have explained the whole story. Unfortunately, I didn't. I'm a fast responder, uh, responder because I don't want anybody mad at me. I want everything smoothed over, and that's something I am working on. But this is what he said. He said... We're not a fan of the idea of the kids being potentially homeless in Boston. You know, getting an Uber in Boston can be tricky. And if they had been out on a winter's night all night in Boston, we would not have been happy with that. But I guess they're alive, so it's all good. So number one, that's a very passive aggressive message. Number two, the more I sat on it, the more frustrated I got. I was like, you think I'd leave the kids in Boston? Like if they couldn't get an Uber, and that's what I texted back. I said, listen, hey. I had my phone on. I was going to get them if they ran into trouble. Well, and I didn't explain the whole thing. I didn't explain that this was planned. You know, again, that's my fault because I wanted to like hurry up and smooth things over. But I just like, I was astounded. I was astounded that you really thought, number one, I can't even believe that you think that of my parenting, right? Do you think I was passed out? Like, what do you think? I have like, I don't know, like I'm doing meth and I pass out and I don't have my phone on and I'm not going to like, I couldn't believe this. Like, I would always go get the boys. So anyway, I said that and he was like, it's fine. It's fine. But what I realized, so these parents are very, very, very controlling, very old school in the punishing. So, you know, obviously the kids are experimenting. They might smoke a joint. They might drink a beer. They might do this. They might do that. The parents are like, just ground them. Nope. That's it. You're grounded. And I was like, dude, we need to have talks. We need to have talks. Like if they're buying joints or THC vapes, you know, it could be laced with fentanyl. The THC vapes can have up to 97% THC. Your average joint has 2% of THC, right? So these vape pens are causing schizophrenic breaks in kids. They're causing suicidal thoughts and suicides. So I was like, shouldn't we be having a big conversation about drugs and alcohol and all the things and sex and but they're not. They're just doing that old school parenting. They're just like, by default, they're being helicopter-ish. They are just kind of staying in the lines. I don't know. For me, I love kids exploring. At that age, I literally was going to New York for auditions. I was taking a bus or a train to New York. So it didn't even occur to me that a almost 17 and 18-year-old could not take an Uber. <laughs> it just didn't occur to me. 
But anyway, the boys ended up having a great time. They did a lot of problem solving. <laughs> they ended up, um, I had dropped them off early and I said, you guys are just going to have to walk around Boston because I just, I need to get home and get back to bed. And Pascal said he had to go to the bathroom. So they found this like lobby. It was glass and he could see a sign for the bathroom. And there was a girl in front of them and it turned out she swiped a card and they kind of went in behind her and it was a college and they found the college rec room and they played, you know, pool and ping pong and had a, vending machines there till the concert started. And then they did struggle with, there was some problems with the Uber driver, but they figured it out. And then it turns out how the parents found out is this other kid in their circle had met them at the park in Boston. And then later, you know, said something in front of his mom and his mom hurried up and called his other mom. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so weird. It's like high school, just call me. If you're upset, call me. And so I wanted to bring this example up. Number one, I wanted to bitch about it on my podcast because that's what I get to do. But I also, to me, it was very clear and I was really trying to have compassion for the other parents as much as I couldn't believe that they thought this low of my parenting. I also was astounded. I was astounded. And if you haven't listened to my Ask Versus Guests podcast, you should go do that because that's a really, that's one of my favorite episodes when we're not clear in our communication. So and again, my friend said, well, maybe you should have been clearer about the Uber. And I said, you know, I would have, but I don't know what I don't know. Like I would have just assumed these kids at this age would be fine. It was never an issue in my head. You know what I mean? Otherwise, obviously I would have communicated, but I was shocked that they could be that angry, that upset thinking their kid could have died, which seems a little catastrophic to me. But if you think your kid could have died, don't you think that person should call me and say, so then I was like, oh, neither one of them can do confrontation. And I have always been, one of the things I've gotten really good at in my life is if you confront me, I've gotten very good at not reacting. If you have to confront me about anything, I say, okay, I hear you. I always apologize. First thing, I am so sorry. That was not my intention. Can I explain, you know, the full story? Can I explain my story? Can I explain where I was coming from? And I've gotten very, very good at this. So I know for a fact that their fear of confrontation had nothing to do with me personally, but I was like, wow, as two parents, I don't know, I was astounded. And it made me just think as I was, you know, walking on the trails, talking to myself, I was like, oh, that's trauma. Like they couldn't confront because they thought I would be reactionary. They thought that they would somehow get a bad response. So whenever we have trouble with confrontation or boundaries, what happens is we've had a trauma response because in the past we've been met with a shitty reaction. Somebody shamed us, guilted us, got flew off the handle, was verbally abusive, whatever. And so then we have trouble confronting people as adults. And actually I did a real last speak on Instagram about this, that boundaries and asking for your needs, clear communication, all of these things, but we can't do that. It's because we have a trauma response and that's worth working through. And you can work on that like with safe people. So that was the other thing is I was like, these parents, you know, are, we're parenting teens together and there have been instances where there have, where we've had to say something. And I know one time the mom was like, I can't have Pascal sleep over. And she was like really nervous about it. Like she was over explaining. I was like, dude, he, that's fine. Like he never has to sleep over. It's your house. Like I'm not going to. Absolutely. And she was like, Oh my God, thank you so much for being so understanding. So I could tell she was nervous about asking me this thing or telling me this thing. And I was like, again, I've worked really hard on this. I'm being very sane in my reactions and being very measured. But then the other thing that just, it really was 
I just kept thinking about this because I have known these parents for a very long time. And this particular mom is very, I don't know if you read my book, Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler, but I have a whole bit about the kind culture and how it's a bit of spiritual bypassing. Like, be kind, be kind, be kind. That's not kind. But we don't actually teach kids or model for kids what kindness looks like. It's just kind of this really ubiquitous phrase. And this mom was like all about like, family meetings and all feelings are valid and we're going to talk about everything. But again, when the kids were little, when the problems were small, when they were easier to control. And so I'm seeing this like sort of, in my mind, it is very archaic parenting. I'm parenting a teen in this new parenting paradigm. And I recognize that there's no fucking map, man. Like nobody in my family has done this. And so it's tough. It's tough because you're unsure. But the only thing I know is being very authentic with Pascal, being very honest, having the really hard conversations with these young adults who are about to fly the coop. I mean, these kids are getting ready to go to college and we're leaving them empty handed if we do this sort of archaic parenting. And again, these boys did some amazing problem solving in Boston. I was so proud of them. I'm glad they had such a great time. It was really reminiscent of my youth. I didn't ever feel scared for them. I didn't think they were in trouble. I was going to rescue them if need be. And they ended up feeling really proud of themselves and really having a good time. And I thought that's, these are the skills that we should be teaching our kids. You know, like when we revert to you're in trouble, go to, you know, that's it. I'm not talking about this. You, you know, when we revert to don't have sex, don't do drugs, don't drink. Sorry, guys, that's not going to fly. I'm glad that that's your position, but it's weak ass parenting. When you say it's like covering your ass, I told them not to drink. Now you're not having the hard conversation. Should they get busted for drinking? They get grounded. And that's the only thing you see. And I think that is tragic because there's so much more conversation to be had. And that's what I mean by archaic parenting. It's like you cover your ass by saying, well, I told them not to drink. And then they did. So now they're punished. And that is default parenting. That's how we were parented. And so I see this so much now in these hard years. And I know you guys aren't there yet, but I want to lay the groundwork for you. Number one, please do your fucking trauma work. If you need help, I am available. I do do trauma work. If you need an in-person therapist, like I said, I'm going to release some trauma episodes on various modes of therapies that you could do and sort of the work that I've done. But it's so important to clear your shit so that you can be really present for your teenager. It's more than just parenting. It's that guiding, right? It's that setting them off in the world with all the tools, critical thinking, problem solving, letting them take risks, learning to let them go a little bit at a time so that they don't fall off this cliff. And I can see in this new mode of snowplow parenting, which is it's different than helicopter parenting. Snowplow parenting is when you like pave the way, right? None of these kids have had any like sort of interesting situations to get out of. And now they're going to college and it's like, oh my goodness, you see these kids fall off a cliff with like drinking. One of his friends is now at college, the kid who featured in the Green Day episode. <laughs> He's at college. He barely calls his parents because his parents were super restrictive, smoking, drinking every day to the point of like, mm, dude, you slow, slow your roll here. And that's what happens when we keep this tight, 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 tight control. And then we just like, boom, there you go. Go to college out of state. And that's when kids go freaking crazy. So we really want to prepare them for this. And, and again, I think that's really about honest communication, being authentic, apologizing, 
knowing when you're being reactive, knowing, you know, early on Pascal, he got, you know, sent to a corner when he was like 24 months. I, I have always told you guys this for hitting me. And I knew as a single mom, he was be bigger than me. So hitting me was the major offense. And I would put him in the corner and that was that. And then it was about three of those. And after that, there was no more punishment. And I have never punished him. I don't work on that model. We work on conversation. We work through connection. We work on opportunities to make better choices the next time. And we sort through these things. And so to me, that's the new paradigm of parenting, right? That's the piece that we want to keep in the forefront so that we don't lose connection with our teens because losing connection with our teens is the worst. That's the worst time to lose connection. They are trying to go out on their own, but they 100% need us as a safety net. And so we have to stay super connected. And again, that's through conversation, not through coercion, not through punishment, consequences, all these things. It's about yeah, conversation connection. So I'm now I'm beating a dead horse. So I'm going to shut up. Yeah. Do your trauma work. So you don't go to that default parenting. That's the end goal. And be aware, like I said, in my first example, just be aware, be aware when something hits you from behind, be aware when the emotion that you're having doesn't fit the context of the situation, right? Like, so for me, you know, it was this like devastation over my friends not coming over even when I didn't want them over. So I think that is a real clue. All right, you guys, I have spoken enough about trauma. And as always, I super appreciate you guys. I appreciate you listening. And I'd love to open the dialogue about trauma. I think it's so important to be a big trauma, little trauma. As always, rock on, you guys. Have a great day. Okay, bye, everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. <laughs> you can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.